0: Welcome to Capshaw. Thank you for swimming your way to be with us this morning. Hopefully everything went well. Uh, Before we dive in to our passage this morning, we have to kind of take care of a few different uh, housekeeping uh, items. First off, I don't want anyone to panic or anyone to worry. Both Pastor John and Pastor Chris are out of town for anniversary trips, not together. Very important to point out, not together, but uh, I believe Pastor John, is he 25? Is he celebrating 25 years? And, and Pastor Chris is celebrating 20 years. We made sure they weren't uh, um, going together and uh, all that good stuff, but they'll be back with us next week. So uh, so know that, don't worry, whenever you see Pastor John and Pastor Chris aren't here, they're not going to go plant somewhere, they're uh, just enjoying celebrating uh, Uh, marriages once again not together so that being said before we dive in too deep too far I've got to begin by stressing something really important not only to myself not only to our student ministry our children's ministry but something that is extremely important to our church as a whole being that it's February almost March that means that we are gearing up and making plans for an exciting summer and uh, even though it's still cold we are as a student minister making plans for beach camp, going to summer, or going to the beach this summer. Uh, so it's really difficult at times for us to uh, promote going to the beach whenever it's 30 degrees outside. And if I'm going to be honest with you, um, with uh, student life, who, who both of our camps are through, they actually wanted the deposits back in January, and I just called them and said, "Guys, I can't promote summer camp at Christmas. I can't do it." So I'm going to need a little bit of grace. But that being said, our time is is coming up, and uh, um, the reason why we go to camp isn't so that we can just have. We don't have a ton of of, of adult chaperones signing up. Say, I want to go a week with no sleep and uh, a lot of loud kids and uh, all that. So the reason why we go is because we believe it's important to get our children and our students out of their normal routine, normal. Ordinary day to day operations and surrounded in a unique environment with the sole purpose of growing in our understanding of the gospel. So, parents, if you're on the fence, whether it's with your children going to uh, Student Life for kids, uh, or if you're on the fence with your students going to a beach camp through Student Life, we want you to know if you have any questions. Before you register, please find me. I would love to answer anything that I possibly can. But uh, registration, being that we were out this past Wednesday, we have pushed it back from Wednesday to Sunday. So you have one more week to uh, ensure that your uh, student or your kid get signed up. So kids camp is fourth through sixth grade, and then um, uh, beach camp for students is anyone who has finished seventh grade through twelfth. So be sure to sign them up. I know for Wendy, uh, whenever she drops her spot, so next week we have to call in and finalize our numbers. She may be able to add a person or two, but it's extremely difficult. For us at beach camp, we go to a hotel, and uh, after they drop those rooms, it is almost impossible to get your uh, kid Signed up, so uh, so. Be sure to register them by next Sunday, your child or your student, and uh, and uh, be sure they don't miss out because it's going to be an exciting, exciting time. So as I mentioned earlier, Pastor John is away, but we are continuing our series signs. Last week, uh, actually, we're going to pick up right where Pastor John left off last week. Last week, uh, we we are we're going to be in John chapter two. At the beginning of John chapter two, we see that Jesus performs his first sign. Uh, uh, in front of everyone, if you remember, it's actually because his mother instructed him to. If anyone, you know, you can probably relate to that. Um, that sign is where Jesus turned ordinary water into, uh, in, at a wedding, into the best wine that was served at the wedding. So we see not only we see a lot in that passage, and Pastor John really, really uh, clearly described what happened. But we see that God is in the is in the business of taking something. Ordinary and turning into something extremely valuable. Uh, So as we continue on, we see that that was the first sign. And that the first sign uh, that Jesus, it was a sign that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man. But this particular sign occurred so that the disciples would particularly believe in him. Understanding that he was in fact the son of God. So right after this wedding is where we are going to pick up. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 2 is where we're going to begin our time this morning. Beginning in verse 12, it says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. In verse 13, goes on and says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Verse 16. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us? for doing these things. Basically saying, what right do you have to do this? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in 3 days it will be raised up. And Jesus then said, I'm sorry, the Jews then said, "It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in 3 days?" But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he, had, that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word uh, that Jesus had spoken. Let's go to God in prayer and then we're going to dive into our passage this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we're just grateful for the sunshine. We're grateful for the opportunity to be uh, here with uh, with each other, not only worshiping you, but God diving in to your word and seeing, seeing how it's still relevant this many years later. God, over the next few moments, um, my prayer is as we look at this scripture, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So from the very beginning of this passage, we see that Jesus leaves the area where the wedding uh, that we talked about last week was held and uh, uh, and heading to Capernaum for a few days. And then after he spent a few days there, Scripture goes on and tells us that Jesus went to Jerusalem for Passover. So to set the stage, it's really important that we kind of understand what is happening as Jesus is kind of going in to Jerusalem. Uh, uh, being that Jerusalem isn't a large city, it was... Uh, it was a very busy time with the spirit of Passover kind of taking over, taking over the city. Um, I read one commentator said that it was very similar to how, how the spirit of Christmas takes over for us. So if you remember driving down 72 just a few months ago, that it was, it was very busy, right? Like, like you could try to avoid 72 as much as you possibly could. The, uh, in Jerusalem, the spirit of Passover has made uh, just busyness occur. There was preparation that took place. Uh, leading up to the Passover, so bridges were being rebuilt, roads were being repaired. Uh, after all, it was estimated that it would be close to uh, close to two two and a quarter million people going to Jerusalem for the uh, for Passover. So, needless to say, there was buzz in the air before Jesus ever made it to uh, to the temple. Jesus was going towards the temple. Um, obviously, uh, things have. Uh, uh, it's not your ordinary day in Jerusalem, so Jesus makes it to the temple, and whenever he arrives, have you ever been somewhere that you go in and it's not what you were expecting? That's kind of what is occurring. Jesus walks into the temple, and rather than looking like a temple, it looks more like a bazaar. There's a lot of things going on. I'm imagining that there's a lot that there is a lot of busyness taking place. I mean, I can't imagine if I could imagine. Adam, could you imagine how many connect cars we would have if there were just oxen and sheep out in the lobby? Like it would be busy. Like you would be talking about this on Facebook at some point or uh, our cleaning people. They would, be, they would be irate with what's going on. You see, Jesus gets to the temple and he walks in and it's not what he, uh, what he was thinking he was going to be walking in. So as we know, Jesus arrived at the temple. It looked, uh, it looked more of a sales place than, than a place of worship. But verse 15 offers us kind of that glimpse of what Jesus sees when he walks in. He encounters animals, of so sheep and oxen, pigeons. Um, and then he was there, he, he noticed that there were people exchanging currency um, for the individuals, for the out-of-town travelers, money changers, seem as if their trade was absolutely mandatory. If you've been to a place where you have to exchange money, it's a tense moment. At least it was for me. It's a tense moment whenever you're trying to, uh, to, to exchange currency so that you can uh, continue to stay in the place that you're at. That's what's happening in the temple. And they were known to charge as much as two hours of labor of a man's wage to change half a shekel so if a man arrives with two shekel piece that he is trying to exchange uh, for currency it would have cost him an entire day an entire day of uh, wages just to change his money so so, what we see what Jesus walks into is not only the chaos of the animals and not only the pigeons flying everywhere and you know what happens whenever animals are in a confined space, he also walks into to extortion extortion became a common practice in the confines of the temple. So, needless to say, this was not just your ordinary day going to church. This is not what you would normally just expect to walk into. Jesus walks in, and it's not what he was expecting. So, he was obviously aggravated by what he had seen, so he decided to make a whip. Now we're talking. He decides to make a whip and then proceeds to cleanse the temple. So, if you're taking notes this morning, as we dive in, our first point this morning is that Jesus clearly demonstrates the character of God in His righteous wrath, brought forth by His holy and unrelenting love. As odd as it may sound, Jesus's char- or God's character is revealed through Jesus in this particular. Instance. Over the past few weeks, we have mentioned, Pastor Adam mentioned it a few weeks ago whenever he spoke, and Pastor John referenced it last week whenever he was teaching on Jesus at the wedding. But what happens for us is that we oftentimes focus on certain aspects. Of Christ. We, we focus on certain aspects. Maybe it's something that we grew up with. If you were anything like me, you probably grew up in a church where there was a picture of a Jesus hanging up on the wall that looks nothing like Jesus, but he was smiling and he was very content. Uh, we focus on, 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 on certain aspects, but the problem with doing that is whenever we do such, we end up, we end up minimizing the complexity and the completeness of who Christ is. You see, Jesus oftentimes has a reputation for being meek and mild. And while he is meek and mild, it doesn't demonstrate the fullness of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is meek and mild. We see in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, that's how he describes himself. So so we know that being meek and being mild is in God's character, is in Jesus' character. But in this passage this morning... This isn't the full picture if we just think of uh, Meek and Mild. This passage this morning shows us that it is safe to say that in an instance, whenever he is making a whip, Meek and Mild does not describe Jesus at this moment, right? Like, can you imagine telling a child about Jesus? And, you're like, and then he walked into the temple, and he made a whip. And then he started, like, smacking things. Behaving church. You know, You see, this doesn't show us uh, the fullness of who Jesus is. You see, we see that uh, that Jesus is angry, we see that Jesus is fed up, but most importantly, we see that Jesus is disappointed in what he is encountering. You see, before we use this passage this afternoon at our restaurant, whenever maybe our server is being a uh, a little slower than we would like, or or our kid may be acting up or tomorrow whenever you're driving to work and you're trying to get on the arsenal and it's really busy. And you try to uh, justify your anger, your road rage. And well, Pastor Brandon talked about Jesus making a whip. I didn't make a whip. We're good. Before you do that, let's look at the reason why Jesus uh, why Jesus was angry and how it differs From us. You see, we have to realize that Christ's anger was rooted in his reaction against the religious lack of respect towards God. You see, Jesus' anger roots on the fact that they were being disrespectful to God in the temple. The very purpose of the temple was to glorify God, yet, these individuals had taken an opportunity to set up a racket to set up extortion, to, 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 make, to make the temple a place where they were making not only money, but really good money. You see, they had taken the, uh, the focus off of the glory of God and put it on themselves and put it on how to, how to make profit from it. Christ opposes anything that distracts from the communication of God's glory. So chances are tomorrow, while you're driving on the Arsenal, the person that cuts you off is not is not distracting from the communication of god 's glory you see there's a big difference in whenever we get upset versus whenever Jesus goes walks in and sees that, uh, sees that god's glory is being disrespect being disrespected it's important to point out that christ's response was not one where he simply lost his cool. This is important you know if you read this passage you see that jesus that Jesus uh, walks into the temple and just loses his mind. That's not an accurate depiction of what happened. That's not an accurate uh, uh, description of how Christ uh, interacted in this moment. You see, Christ didn't walk in and then just lose it. What do we see? Christ walks in after seeing the animals, and after seeing uh, uh, the money changers. Verse 15 tells us, what I pointed out just a moment ago, is that Jesus made a whip in order to drive out those in the temple making the whip is a deliberate act like legit question does anybody in here know how to make like a legitimate whip nobody dude i was hoping we could talk after oh you do thanks Emma. Uh, my daughter knows how to how to make a whip good we're gonna have to talk later oh we're gonna talk later um no jesus didn't walk in and just lose his cool jesus walks in and then he proceeds to make a whip. He proceeds to make a whip. It shows us, that, that it shows us a glimpse at the nature of God. God's wrath is never an, is, is never an emotional response. God's wrath is, uh, is an intentional tool for his justice. You see, whenever I think about this, I think it's, uh, once again, it's important to point out that Jesus didn't just lose his mind and lose his cool. It's kind of like whenever, as a child, some of you may have had your, some of you may have gotten in trouble, Growing up, I mean a long time ago, and then your parents forced you to go pick out your own switch. Anybody want to admit that in here? Okay. And you know that those jokers were sitting there watching you and laughing. Our neighbor had a weeping willow tree next door. I'm going to explain that one more time because some of y'all may not know what that is. My neighbors had a weeping willow tree and it was awful. Awful. And I know while we went out there to pick our own switch that uh, that my parents were probably laughing at us and just thinking, okay, let's see what they come back with. I think it was, there was a comedian that said, you know, you couldn't go in and get something that was like a legitimate switch because it would it would kill you. The other part, you couldn't go, go in with like a little twig and say, here you go, because then they'd get a little bit more frustrated with whatever you've decided to do. You see, whenever you go get your switch and you bring it back, your parents' response typically is not a response where... You, uh, where where they've just lost their cool and they're ready to beat your tail? No, they've had time to cool down. They've had time to to kind of uh, to kind of just chill out a little bit. At that point, the uh, the instrument of the switch becomes the tool of discipline. They haven't lost their cool. They haven't uh, they haven't let their anger overtake the situation. You see, the Lord's anger, Jesus's anger, was rooted in love, and it was rooted in. The love of God. Jesus didn't walk in and just lose it. Jesus walked in and was ready to claim, to reclaim the glory, uh, reclaim what was the temple for the glory of God. After witnessing something that I'm assuming the disciples were not expecting. First off, can't we agree that that's probably not what was on their radar for what Christ was going to do? I'm assuming whenever they walk in and they're and they're with Christ and they see this happen, verse seventeen kind of pops out. It must, must have been inspiration from the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, they, they reference back to Psalm 69, verse 9, that tells us, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. You see, the word consume means to be eaten up. The word consumed means be eaten up both Jesus and David to a, smaller ex- to a smaller extent was consumed by God knowing that God deserved the best. Both David and more importantly Jesus identified so closely with God that whenever he was defamed, they were defamed also. You see, Jesus' anger revolves around his love for God and the holiness for which he was deserved to be worshipped. Uh, A.W. Tozer Right, uh, wrote in the preface of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He wrote this, and it's really good. It says, With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adorning silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life of in the spirit, the words "Be still and know that I am God mean next to nothing to the self confident bustling worshiper in the middle in this middle period of the twentieth century I think it 's safe to say that this that this uh, quote not only uh, didn't have to say in the 20th century, also applies to us in the 21st century. You see what happens for us is we reference God in, uh, in, in terms that are not only inaccurate, but it's extremely disrespectful to him. God is far bigger than the man upstairs and the big guy in the sky, um, Jesus. So it's so wonder that Jesus was so passionate about the irreverence that he had just witnessed. Just like the wrath of Jesus, God's wrath is one that is more fierce than we can imagine, but does so because he is consumed by himself. God wants to glorify himself. In fact, the wrath is present because his justice demands it. In fact, God is so perfect that he is unable to allow anything but perfection in his presence or anyone who has had their their price of the penalty of sin paid in full. God's anger in regards to sin uh, provides glory to himself because he is far better than sin and does so because he loves us. The second point for this morning is the purpose for which God sent his son was not for behavior modification, but rather for man's salvation in his glory. You see, the second thing that we're going to look at this morning is, uh, is, is the reason why God sent Jesus. You see, if we wanted to, we could look at this passage and we could see how someone should act in church. In fact, some of you may be sitting there and you see someone whispering to someone else or someone looking at their phone and you're beginning to think, I wonder if YouTube has a tutorial on how to make a whip and if they don't apparently my daughter knows how you can see her afterwards you know that's not what this passage is about that's not what this passage is about this passage is far greater than if you sit quietly in the temple then you have gained acceptance for those around you therefore you have pleased god you see god did, or jesus didn't arrive at the temple and start to uh, start start whipping whipping things So that people would act right in church is far deeper, far bigger than that. This is also greater than simply going to the temple and uh, and being engaged in worship. This is far greater than that. All of these examples are examples of behavior modification. All these are examples of how we should act in church. Or, or, you know, maybe Jesus did this so that we would know that we're not supposed to talk in church and we're supposed to sing. All this, stuff, all of those are examples of behavior modification. This passage uh, actually reveals not only why Jesus cleansed the temple, but ultimately reveals why he sent his son Jesus in the first place. And it wasn't to tell us how to act in church. Jesus was not sent to provide a list of rules for us to live by so that we could uh, in order to have a relationship with God. You see Jesus wasn't uh, sent on earth and arrived with a list, a salvation checklist, if you will, so that we could uh, so that we could do what we're supposed to do on the list and then ex- uh, and then gain his acceptance. You see, we were not uh, Jesus was not sent to do that. Jesus was sent for the salvation of man. Verse 20 and 21 Jesus is referring to the resurrection. He is foreshadowing that he, uh, that he, when his body is destroyed in three days, it will be rebuilt. These verses show that Jesus cares far less about our behavior modification. Jesus cares far less about, uh, about how we act in church. God, uh, Jesus cares far more about saving man. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life and died an awful death so that we can experience salvation. He did so to save us. Jesus is also signifying that because of him, there is no need for the temple, that God is far bigger than any constraints that the temple had on him. And this is something that still impacts us to this day. Capshaw has been in this location for over 100 years. We have been here for over 100 years. Therefore, we, uh, it's important to realize that while we love coming in here, and while we love worshiping together, that if something, uh, Lord forbid, happened to this building, that our church would still exist. You see, we do not have to walk into this room and sit in these emerald chairs in order to experience God or in order to worship God. You see, because of Christ... Because of Christ, the temple is no longer needed. The temple is, uh, is no longer a place that you have to go in order to worship God. Because of Jesus, God is made more personal. There's no, there's no longer a need for a priest. There's no longer a need for any other mediators because Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is the one who goes to God on our behalf. And this is what he's talking about here in this passage. Even though this passage seems full of anger, even though this passage seems, seems as if it is just full of anger, this is something that probably doesn't get taught in, uh, over in Rocky City uh, very much, you know, because you, you can't just give kids little whips. Like, that's not, that's not acceptable. How many of you think about that? How many of y'all would, like, go pick up your kids and just, oh, we talked about, you know, Jesus whipping everybody? Here's a whip. That would be awful for you guys. Can we be honest? We'd be getting some great Instagram footage there. You see, this passage isn't full of anger. This passage isn't where Jesus uh, loses it. This passage is not a passage where, where we actually see that Jesus is angry. we actually see that uh, the, the Jesus is full of love and full of love for God, which is the reason why this passage is, occurs. So as we close out our time together this morning, we're going to transition a little bit to the last part of chapter two. And it's where we see uh, chapter 23 through 25. Actually, we'll just go ahead and read it right now. In 23, it says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him for himself knew what was in man before we unpack these verses it's important to look it's important that we look at John's writing is somewhat an, these three verses are somewhat of an introduction for John for chapter 3 and chapter 4 so we're going to dive into those this morning no I'm kidding pastor John will be back next week and we're going to dive into that this is just a little bit of an introductory for what uh, for what those two chapters Uh, what those two chapters mean, but what we see here, what this reveals to us is our last point is the omniscient nature of God to which Jesus could turn, allowed him an intimate look in the heart of man. You see, this is something that Pastor John mentioned last year, late last year, being that Jesus was fully man while he was on earth while Jesus was fully man as he walked and fully god this is where kind of some tension can kind of come into play but uh, but while he was here Jesus had to learn while he was on earth like Jesus didn't just come into the world knowing everything he wasn't that like 2 minute old walking around you get what I'm saying like Jesus had to learn while he was on Earth being that he was fully man as well as fully God, so there were certain attributes this is what Pastor John referenced there were certain attributes to uh, uh of God to which Jesus did not fully embrace on his time uh, uh, during his time on earth one of those was his omniscient nature meaning that uh, that meaning that he knew everything you see this is one of those that uh, that, that he didn't fully embrace while he was on earth this means that through the humanity of Christ that there were things that he had to learn however there were times that we th- that we see through the holy spirit which jesus uh, obviously leans on that uh, that these attributes that he didn't fully embrace were available to christ which is what happens in this instance you see being that god is able to know the details of our heart This passage reveals that there are differences in faith. You see, there's a difference in believing in God versus knowing God. You see, we see that there's a difference in believing in Jesus and actually putting your faith and trust in Christ. You see, in this passage, uh, Jesus gets really, really, really uh, uh, blunt about this, with the goal of, God's, of John's gospel taking aim at believing Jesus is the Christ, he takes a moment to point out that not everything that looks like faith is actual faith. You see, we have to understand, we have to know that the gospel is not about accepting Christ or inviting Jesus into our heart. But it is about establishing a relationship with him. As we close our time together, we have another opportunity. We have another opportunity to worship. We have another opportunity to worship through, through music. Remembering that he, God, not only knows the intent of our worship, but that he loves us through it and that he is worth every bit of worship that we offer him. Let's pray.